Ravi Burns wrote a song called My Hearts in the Highlands. Tony Bennett made his signature song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And who can forget, or rather, who wouldn't want to forget, I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper by Sarah Brightman and Hot Gossip. Well, that's showing my age now, isn't it? In all of these songs, the physical heart is actually firmly within the chest. It's not been taken out in a surgery and shipped off somewhere. But it's a metaphor, isn't it, concerning who we love, where we love, where and what our desire is. And when we've got our heart somewhere, it means it's not somewhere else. It affects the wider context of how we relate to other places and how we relate to other people. People who hear my accent often ask, not simply where I come from, But where is my hometown? And although I tell them of coming from Langham in Dumfrieshire, that's not really my home, is it? Because you know that my home is next door. Home is where the heart is, another saying. God has called me to come and be here, and doing God's will is my heart. But sometimes our heart can be misplaced. Sometimes we do things we should not. I've just finished reading a a book that tells uh, the story of Oleg Gordievsky, the KGB uh, agent who defected to Britain in the 1980s. And it's clear in the story that he had his heart broken by the brutality, lies and lack of freedom under the Soviet system. And so he started to undermine that system. His heart had been changed And it led him to share information with MI6. He seeks no financial reward. He turns turns it down. But it is his desire to see peace and righteousness prevail. At the same time, there's a bit of overlap in the story with Aldrich Ames whose heart is on personal gain. He was a spy at the CIA who actually betrays Gordievsky uh, along with others to the Soviets. And he sells lots of information, earning four and a half million dollars from the KGB before he gets finally arrested. Where is our heart 
And how does that cause us to live? The behavior described in our passage from Isaiah is that of people whose heart is somewhere other than where it should be. Their life is not focused on God, even though they claim that it is. They are people who are traitors to their faith, living double lives. It comes to the time of fasting, a time that uh, remembers how years ago the temple uh, was sacked and... uh, Ravaged, destroyed by the the Babylonians. How the the people were taken off into exile. And they pray, remembering those events. The destruction of the site of the worship of God. They don their ashes. They abstain from food. But their attitude and behavior is not of the people of God. They claim to remember the destruction, but they don't remember what led to that destruction. They don't remember how the king and his people had turned away from God. What happened before the Babylonians? Why the nation collapsed? Because of the adulterous actions that they had been engaged in. And the very same attitude and action is re-emerging post-exile. These people claim to worship, but they don't. The fasting and the praying of the people has lost meaning. And their behavior reveals that although they've gone without food, they've not used that time to come close to God. Their heart is not in it. They are simply going through the motions of the prayer time. What of us? Is our faithful life actually at times unfaithful? Could it be that instead of treating each other with love, or being an army of ordinary people where love is the key, that instead of treating each other with respect and love, we garn and scowl or grunt at other members of our fellowship perhaps even turning aside a blind side not giving them the time of day the passage speaks of raised fists among the members of the fellowship I don't think I've seen raised fists among you after the service while we've been having coffee Please do stay for coffee and tea. But there can be squabbles. 
There shouldn't be. But there can be. And of course, the front pages of newspapers yesterday and today have suggested domestic violence behind the front doors of politicians. I wonder what it is that your neighbours know of. What they think of you. What sin is behind our own front doors. And out side of the family. Other times that not physical action but our words cause hurt. Maybe directed directly towards some, maybe undermining people with gossip. Sometimes there's banter but I'm not always sure it's innocent. During the Second World War, there was that familiar poster, you know, a costless, a careless talk costs lives. It still costs lives today. Not in that KGB, CIA, MI6, breaking the Official Secrets Act sort of thing, damage to the nation's war machine. But lives are emotionally damaged when we repeatedly undermine each other or knock each other down. And there's times when we do that. When people have been tutted at or discouraged from giving the best that they can to God. And they're left thinking that they are not good enough, when in fact God loves them. God wants to see them grow and flourish, to be encouraged. And instead, we sometimes discourage with what we do as a church. When we come to God in prayer... It is about seeking his way for our life and his will in the world. And we must not simply come with words that are empty. For an empty promise is worthless. It's no good. If we are seeking for our restoration to take place, we need to start thinking of how our own hearts are restored. How we have hearts that are devoted to him and put God first in our life. We cannot be adulterous in our relationship with the world. If we are going to have an intimate prayer relationship with a God who loves us, then we must have our focus on him. We must love him and choose to be his. We have to live his way and be honest with him about who we are. 1 John 1 verse 10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him 
out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. That was not an issue new to the first century. It's what's going on here in the passage in Isaiah. And it's still what sometimes holds today. The people in Jerusalem that Isaiah writes about, they fasted of food, but they did not fast of their sinful nature. And the prayers of the people in the passage are not being answered. And they're going, we pray, we fast, and God doesn't do anything. It's because their hearts are not in that godly relationship. The prophet says to them, if you want your prayer to be answered, then start living rightly. Then you will call. And the Lord will answer. God answers prayer. He listens and he responds. Not always in the way we hope. Not always in the way that we've asked it. Not always in the time scale that we desire. And then we sometimes have to ask... Is it that we've prayed the right thing in the first place? Are our prayers not being answered? Because it's not what we really should have prayed. Has our heart and our mind been truly focused on God and what he would have had us pray? Paul Stokes, who many of you uh, will know, uh, a URC minister who I believe some years ago uh, led this church's weekend away, um, wrote a little bit in uh, this year's uh, guide that was at Spring Harvest. And he addresses a question of how do we make our prayers more powerful? How do we make our prayers more powerful? How do we see them answered? How do we make them more powerful? And of the four short answers that Paul Paul gives, three of them relate to aligning ourselves with God. saying in the name of Jesus towards the end of our prayer is saying may this be Jesus's prayer may this be how Jesus would have prayed into this position he speaks of doing things God's way says pray in accordance with God's will you know, we know the pattern from reading the Bible, from, from studying the scripture. We discover the sort of thing that God wants to happen. So we pray in God's will. And the third one is about praying with the Spirit, letting the Spirit guide our prayer. The fourth 
of the points that he mentions is being with others who say amen. Being with others who pray as we pray. Being with others who are able to agree that the prayer you are making is a prayer that reflects what they think too is the prayer that needs to be said. That is being prayed right. In the past week, I've been in both Blackthorns and Linfield Primary uh, doing assembly. And whether I'm there in either of them two schools or whether I'm at uh, Skeens Hill at St Augustine's, when it comes to the time of prayer at the end, I tell the pupils that I'm going to pray and if they want it to be their prayer too, they can say Amen, which means I agree. And it's up to them, it's up to those pupils whether they hear those words that come out of my mouth and say Amen, I agree, or whether they don't. Sometimes we just tack it on as a sign of saying, oh, I've come to the end of the prayer now. Don't we? Oh, that's it, I've said that bit, amen. And the rest all go, amen. But it's saying, you know, this is my prayer, this is what I'm giving to you, God. And when we say amen too... It means, yes, I also take ownership of that. I also take that prayer and I make that prayer my own. This is what I believe we should be lifting up to God. Are the prayers that we say, the prayers that you say, something that you believe God wants you to pray? Is it prayed in a heartfelt way? Is it prayed such that others can say Amen at the end of? If you have a football crowd, you know, and half are praying for their team to win, and the other half are praying for their team to win, is that the right prayer? No. In a prayer that it might be a good game, that the best team wins, that people might, pray, uh, might play fairly. That's the prayer, isn't it? We need to be able to say, Amen. In the passage, we see how God wants us to live with justice, with mercy, sharing his love in the world. May this be our prayer.
we maybe don't always do things right. We probably make a mess of things. Perhaps we raise our voice. Maybe we are unkind. Maybe we think of ourselves before others. But yet we have a God of love. A God who longs to bless us. And a God who has set forth the way that we can be redeemed. That we can be in right relationship. That that love may fill our lives. We have a God who welcomes us to come and be in his presence. He invites us to come and be with him. To consider his ways. To consider how we can love others with the heart of love that he has given to us. He even gave us the way that we can be restored, redeemed. He gave us his son, a body broken and blood shed. Let us not betray our faith. Let us not put our heart somewhere that it should not be. But place our heart in God. And be faithful to him. Amen.